Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. This week, I sit down with Steph Hay, Head of Content, Culture, and AI Design at Capital One. We talk about designing for voice interactions, connecting with remote team members, and the importance of baking humanity into AI. Enjoy the episode. Steph, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'd love for you to start off in talking about your career path. You moved from being an independent designer uh, to a manager at a large company. Can you talk a little bit about what prompted you to make the move? You bet. Um, So what prompted me is that I dreamed ever since I was a little girl about working at a bank. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't happen. Um, But it really became true when I met all of the amazing people who work at Capital One because at the end of the day, who you work with dictates the kind of products that you're able to um, release. And I was working with myself. I knew the kind of quality I was capable of. I had amazing um, clients, um, a network of people who I worked with, and we were doing the kind of work I was really proud of. But I was challenged to um, really affect people at the scale that Capital One is able to affect people on a day to day basis, especially around something that's so emotional as money. Mm-hmm. So I was compelled by the people I met who were working at Capital One over the six months that I was talking to folks like my my boss, Scott Zimmer, the global head of design. Um, and I was compelled by the, the problem statement of challenging myself to, um, to go where, um, you know, go to a place where the, the impact on people could be so widespread and fundamentally good if we do the kind of work that we know we're all capable of. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so tell me, um, you're managing a team. What have you learned about yourself? Through oh that my gosh. <laughs> right. Where to begin, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, patience. Number one, I've learned that, um, you know, it's not about having all the answers. It's about empowering the team to come up with their own answers to solve tough challenges together. So, that requires patience. That requires showing up to work every single day with my full self, with expecting everyone on my team to show up to work as their full selves. And to, um, frankly, take the time I need to not be at work so that I can show up when I'm showing up as my full self. Um, and same thing for my team. So it's, um, it's about patience. It's about empathy. It's about balance. And it's about an internal motivation to be great and enable greatness. And all of that comes with um, a whole bunch of, um, you know, intricate, nuanced kinds of daily behaviors, like just straight up recognizing people for great work that they're doing and progress they're doing and having radical candor um, to pivot people when they need it, help to direct them without telling them what to do. And all of that is you know, been actually the most fulfilling part about moving into a company. I've never worked for a corporate um, company the size of of Capital One. And I had a whole bunch of preconceived notions about what that would be. And they were all wrong, quite frankly. Like, there are amazing people who work here and the the environment is supportive. We want to do great for our customers. We want to do great for our people who work here. And so I've also learned that in being a leader at a company, you have to have leadership who supports you to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And and so it's made my learning curve more comfortable and it's made my teams capable of being successful in the work that they're doing. And me too. That's awesome. What, sounds like such a healthy culture. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, 
uh, I, again, like going back to where I started this, I never would have in a million years imagined that I would ever be where I am. And I'm so grateful. I had a, a mentor once um, say to me, because really it was my, my, I guess my ego is the best word to describe it, wrapped up in being an independent contractor. You know, I, I worked for myself. I had my whole schedule optimized for five years prior to joining Capital One. I was working on startups. I was, I had hobbies. I mean, I had no intention at all. I just kept meeting people who were working here who I wanted to work with. They were smarter than me. I knew I was going to learn from them. And I remember having coffee with a mentor of mine and I, and I was saying to him the same thing I was saying to Capital One, like, oh man, it would be so great to work there, but too bad I don't want a job. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> too bad I'm not going to, too bad I'm not going to say yes to this. Um, and I, I, uh, asked my friend, like, you know, based on everything you know about me and what it is that this opportunity seems to be posing, I mean, what advice do you have? And he, he said, follow the fun. I mean, what is your, what is your gut telling you? What is, what is the challenge that you want to take on in your life? And, um, and this was what it was, you know, and that's where I feel like the culture at Capital One, we're a founder led company, which I don't think many people know. I certainly didn't know that, um, our founder is still, still our CEO. Hmm. And, and we just started in the nineties, like we're not that old. So, um, so I think there is a natural entrepreneurial culture, um, already here that I got to step into and it enables me to still be entrepreneurial and enables me to still be curious and people want to do great work and they're excited to come to work. And all of that makes for the kind of culture that, um, is the one that I'm describing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I had no yeah. idea that it was such a, a young quote unquote company to be perfectly yep. honest. Yep. Super interesting. So talk to me a little bit about what it's like designing in, in the financial space. You know, obviously you mentioned sort of the emotional connection people have uh, to their money. Um, so are there considerations that are specific to finance when you're you know, in your day-to-day -day work? So, so many, so, so many. It's, it's remarkable how um, much money is tied to people's identity and their emotional states on a day-to-day -day basis. And <clears throat> we sort of know it, but we all have our own systems and money is a bit of a you know, taboo topic. So, you know, you, you have your systems for yourself personally, maybe with your spouse or with your kids, how you talk about money, your parents. Um, and then you learn those systems through a combination of socialization, maybe what you learned from your parents or saw going through your friends or what you did when you were younger or didn't do, etc. And so it's part of your history. You know, it's part of how it's part of your culture. It's part of who you are. So we have an opportunity in finance to understand people on a level of one. And that's also the risk is if we're wrong, we can come across as judging you, or we can come across completely missing the mark in a way that actually adds to your own anxiety about money. And so it's this tension between wanting to be nuanced and tailored and designing experiences at a level of one and also not in the risk of being wrong. Uh, not, you know, not wanting to be wrong because of how it'll impact you. So we have to be brave enough to um, you know, opt for and be and smartly designed for the former rather than um, the latter, and then end up diluting our experiences in a way that um, ends up confusing people and not really kind of generating the the experiences that we want for people to have with uh, any interaction that they might be having with their money. So, um, so the kinds of experiences that we're developing in finance are fundamentally emotional and affect people on a human level that. 
um, can enable them in like, I'm traveling and I need access to my money. It can disable them. Like we noticed fraud on your account or we think that there's fraud on your account and we want to protect you. So we're turning it off. But if it's actually you who used your card, then we've just kept you from your own (laughs) money. You know, it just is so complex and it's so nuanced and it's so emotional that I can't imagine many other industries that are so ripe for opportunity to design really compelling, um, meaningful experiences. Mm, interesting. I hadn't thought about it to that extreme. Um, but you're right. If you think about anybody's relationship to their money, it's a very sensitive space. That's right. That's um, right. So related to that, you worked on um, the Capital One skill for Alexa. Can you share a little bit about the challenges and journey in developing uh, voice base? Yeah. So this is, the you know, drawing on exactly what we were just talking about, how people talk about money is completely custom and emotional <laughs> and nuanced, right? And the way that we have historically designed for that as an industry is to create our own language that you have to learn, right? Um, so things like uh, available balance, that's, you know, that's, that's an industry term that has become to some degree accepted. But, um, but the way people talk about available balance, when we ask what that means, they say, um, you know, how much money I have left on my credit, you know, uh, available to me on credit, something that that's about how much, you know, and it's not a label, it's, it's like an outcome. Um, hmm. And so at the end of the day, when we're designing for any sort of voice based conversations, the more we can find the natural language that you use to talk about money and design that into the experience, the more we'll have enabled a new kind of interaction with us that mimics real life that works in real life. Um, versus forces you to understand bank speak in order to uh, interact with us. So that's the opportunity that we've been capitalizing on so far. And just a couple of weeks ago at the Grace Hopper Women in Computing Conference, it was really um, a joy to be on stage with my um, coworkers who we all worked on the, this uh, recent release together, announcing how much did I spend. So now you can... Um, ask if you're a customer of Capital One and you've enabled the skill in Alexa, you can ask, how much did I spend at Starbucks last month? Or how much did I spend at Amazon um, last week? Um, or how much did I spend last weekend in general? <laughs> because that's how people think. Right. You know, They're not going to look for transactions, but that's how we typically set things up. Um, and that all that foundation work is so vital to us because now we can take all that foundation work of you know accounting and managing budgets and that sort of thing and translate it with this new interface label layer of conversational interfaces um, and GUIs as well to translate that, that accounting, you know, budgeting kind of um, machine level um, um, money management to conversation. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. That's a great, great feature. It's also one of those things where you, <laughs> that's the way that you talk in real life, right? Right. I've been spending too much at Amazon. How much have you been spending in Amazon is, Potentially the start of many uh, <laughs> potentially heated arguments. <laughs> yeah, I don't want I don't want right? to know actually. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, Mary! That is actually the number one thing that people say to us. They say, "Oh my gosh!" In a way, I almost don't want to know, and right. and that's that actually. I mean, I understand the sentiment. We can all identify with the sentiment, right? But that actually works against our ability to be <laughs> fiscally responsible right, human beings, right? It's completely so, <laughs> denial, right? <laughs> denial, that's right. And uh, part of that is, you know, w- w- in a way we want to make transparent and accessible what has historically not been so that people aren't afraid of it. So it's just part of the day-to-day conversation, part of your day-to-day life. 
in a way that isn't so worrisome and, and fearful, but is more proactive than that, is more natural than that. And a big part of that is understanding the natural language that people use to talk about money and then designing experiences with that language. Sure. Sure. Well, it's, as you say, it's a delicate balance. I mean, people want to know, but they don't want to know. But it's one of those, like you're building awareness, which is going to educate, which is going to empower, which is, you know, all of these things. But it's sort of the first step of saying, do I really want to ask that question? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Interesting. So how did you manage, and I I read a little bit about this, how did you manage the privacy and security aspects of designing for conversational UI and, and, I mean, in the finance world, right? So somebody's talking to their, to Alexa and asking all sorts of questions, but how do you secure that in a way that makes sense for the consumer? Yep. Um, Well, first of all, we haven't, an amazing partnership with Amazon. And so um, one of the early uh, conversations that we had was about this, in fact. So it was a total partnership right from the start. So number one is that we use OAuth. We're just using the standard um, uh, authentication mechanism. You have to you have to sign in using your credentials. So there's a step one already in place. Step two is that um, we created a, what's called a personal key, which is a four-digit pin that only that you can create and only you know, so that we will prompt you to say that personal key. It's optional. Found that people want that to be optional. So uh, if I live in a home with other people, I'm going to be more likely to use a personal key or set up one um, than I am if I'm living alone, for example. So the personal key is something that will prompt you to say in order to access your account on top of the OAuth. And the third thing is we've chosen to start with use cases that are uh, less complex in nature. So things like reading your balances and telling you when your next bill is due and actually enabling you to pay your bill versus things like moving money. Mm. So we started in those three ways to um, uh, really tackle privacy and security in this totally new conversational interface. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so my next question, you wrote in, um, in an article about the challenge of making AI humane. And I'm curious what you mean by that. Yeah, so this is, you know, function first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you imagine analogs um, that have come way before conversational um, UIs, there's the step one is to get the thing working, you know? (laughs) So... (laughs) So there's this new technology or there's a new software and we there's a, a small group of people who know how to, to use it and they're learning and they're creating the standards that the rest of us will start using when it becomes mainstream. And if we don't start baking into those early, early prototypes, the kind of humanity that could be representative, then we lose out on a lot of leapfrog opportunities or an acceleration of that whole industry and space. So... Um, so when I am talking about, you know, humanity and AI design, it is both on a system level, meaning, you know, how do we design systems that will enable us to have nuanced conversations right from the start, to not alienate people or judge people or use the kind of language that only works in certain kinds of cultures or for certain kinds of behavioral variables. That is normally a sort of like, hey, we'll get there eventually kind of a discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, first, we just got to get it working and then we can make it human. But um, but that, to me, is the complete opposite approach that we should be taking, because in order to make it sustainable and to create it as a daily behavior kind of a uh, technology, it has to be meaningful. It has to add value. It has to be interactive in a way that makes sense to me. That means we've got to do a lot of work, anthropological work, uh, research, design work, um, on and on. 
to be able to capitalize on the function in a way that is meaningful to people. I have to understand what is meaningful to people. And so my, you know, sentiment in that is, and, and it's, I mean, it's a big reason why I'm here and why our AI design team is here and why we're, we're doing this work already at Capital One is because there are companies, there are people who understand the value of creating experiences right from the start that are natural, that maybe work for a subset of the people, but they work so well that you can't imagine ever using anything else. Um, and that is the approach to take versus trying to create something that's so wide and so diluted that it could work for anybody. But in the end, it really works for nobody. It mm. just works, period. And that's not compelling. That doesn't generate value. That's great. Wow. Um, so let's talk about um, let's talk about this. What's up Thursday? <laughs> so I, I don't know where I saw this. But yeah. um, tell me, tell me what, what is this thing? Oh, I love What's Up Thursday. Okay, mm-hmm. What's Up Thursday started, uh, so I joined Capital One a little bit more than two years ago. And, um, and there were maybe a little bit more than 100 folks on the design team at the time. And we're across, you know, 10 different locations. And I wondered with my boss, a small group, whether or not we could actually do weekly share outs, you know, design critique. So drawing on the work of, uh, you know, adaptive path or weekly design sessions, that sort of thing. And so uh, we said, well, I don't know, well, let's give it a shot. So, and so this, by the way, conversation came up right before Christmas. I think it was like middle of December, two years ago. And um, I said, why don't we try for the first Thursday in January? So two weeks, (laughs) two or three (laughs) weeks later, we would try to bring 100 people together over video conference and do uh, have somebody present some work and then do a group discussion and facilitate that um, among the design team. Uh, And so it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, but it happened. And, and we all looked at some work that people were doing and there, there was great discussion and we continued to iterate on it over the course of the year. And now every single Thursday, our team gets together and it's a combination of group critique and, and sort of just what's up, what's going on. Somebody will share something inspirational. Sometimes people, you know, play their guitar and sing a song. Sometimes people, there was, <laughs> uh, somebody juggled for 10 minutes while giving us a talk on user experience. I mean, it is just this weekly oasis, or we try to at least make it a weekly oasis for the entire design team, which now numbers bigger than 300. And people come together and we chat and Slack and uh, learn what's going on, learn what's going on with each other and connect with each other and see the work that we're doing and celebrate the work we're doing and celebrate failures. And um, I love it. I love it. And and I host it. I host it most of the time still. So, uh, yeah. That's That's awesome. I mean, it must be a really, I mean, I work remotely and and most of my counterparts do as well. And it's to be able to connect with people. I mean, you you really have to make an effort Mm -hmm. to do that, to be part of a team. And I feel like you have to make an extra effort when you're, you know, distributed. Um, Yeah, it's so true. And I think this is like, I'm really bullish on culture. I love, I love to see what happens. It never stops making me giddy when uh, people sort of meet each other and then they start working on something. And then all of a sudden there's like a, somebody's holding a summit in, in Chicago and there are like 33 designers there and they're all working on some, you know, creating a bunch of components for some, um, uh, for a library or something like that. And like, how did that happen? <laughs> how did that happen? Well, you've got to create the forums and, and empower the people on the team who are passionate about particular things to run. 
and you know they get forms to meet each other to talk about things and and um, and support them to to run with it. And I have lots of hope that we do that actually way more than than we we do right now, which is maybe idealistic because everybody has day jobs, but I love that stuff. And that's where something like a what's up Thursday really comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. So for people that are trying to do or would like to do something similar, do you have any advice or lessons learned along the way? Because it's not an easy thing to get going. And it's certainly not an easy thing to keep going. No, that's true. Uh, Yes, I do. I have three things. One is, um, I was doing this fairly independently with one person who was helping me book rooms for six or eight months, the first six or eight months. Um, I was, you know, finding people to put on the schedule. I was feeling if they dropped off the schedule. And um, like, I think maybe late last year, so we were about a year into it, I put my face in front of the camera one day and I was like almost on the verge of tears. And I was like, please help me. Please help me run these. And uh, <laughs> the team stepped up and a bunch of people came out of the, the woodwork and were like, oh, we didn't even know that you were doing these by yourself. Sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so communicate, communicate to, you know, get help and hold people accountable um, that so that you, the person who feels passionate about doing this, because you're carrying the flag uh, so that you don't burn out. And uh, number two is there's something really powerful about inspirations that come from anybody on the team. And one of the things we learned early on was that we were really optimizing for group learning. So we were really optimizing towards share outs and critiques. And after six, eight months of every single week, somebody's presenting for 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and especially if they run long, then people are checking out, you know, it's like, okay, I've had enough information today. This is what I do all day anyway. <laughs> and I was really interested for the first 15 minutes, but now I'm bored. And, you know, when you bring people together in those forums, what really becomes powerful is getting to know each other and getting to know sides of, of, of people you work with that you would, might not know, like mm-hmm. somebody can juggle for 10 minutes while talking. Um, and that stuff is really, really powerful. So what is, what is it that is inspiring you? Like, who's the person who is the yogi? Uh, who is the person who is actually in a karaoke uh, contest every Friday night, you know, <laughs> like have those people get up and just talk about why they're into what they're into. And that stuff is super, super um, motivating for people to, to see and um, hear. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and the third thing is food. Like we have these <laughs> over lunch on the East Coast brunch, you know, for our, our uh, Chicago and Dallas offices and, and breakfast for San Francisco offices. Um, and, you know, getting some food for the first 15 minutes and then jumping in to introduce all the new people and then um, having somebody present a couple things, you know, it, it just becomes a, a moment to slow down. It's not a meeting. Um, it's a moment to slow down and celebrate the fact that we're all a team together. That's awesome. So now do you run it every week still? I do. (laughs) I do. But I am uh, fortunately people who are much smarter than me are handling the programming these days and helping to orchestrate it so that it runs smoothly in a way that I never was able to. But I still host it and, you know, introduce new people and make people talk maybe when they don't want to talk. And when I'm not there, then there are a round of folks who jump in and uh, are amazing hosts. That's great. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about this conference that you're, um, this one day conference you're putting on, I think you said it was February 28th. That's um, right. And designing humanity and AI. 
Tell me more about what this is about, who is it for, and what should people expect to take away from it? Sure. So humanity.ai, which is in San Francisco on February 28th at Bespoke, is a one-day single-track conference of lightning talks, panel discussions, fireside chats on bringing humanity to AI systems and experiences. So the kinds of speakers that we have are, you know, from Pixar and from um, IBM and from Facebook talking about designing for conversation, designing for conversational UIs and designing systems that inherently aren't um, accidentally sociopathic or aren't accidentally biased and how easy it can be. It's what I was talking about earlier, how, how easy it can be to accidentally introduce that stuff if you're not paying attention to the outcomes that you're trying to influence in somebody's behavior or in somebody's feeling. So this day is for designers, product managers, technologists, um, developers, basically anybody who's working at that intersection of, of mis- you know, machine learning and, and design who is trying to create things, let's say virtual agents or chatbots, you know, um, uh, conversational UIs, we're trying to create the kinds of experiences that feel like, um, you know, trusted friend is on the other side of that interface, whatever that interface might be. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a lot of, how did you come up with the idea for it? It seemed to me and a few folks I work with here, including um, Brandon Shower and um, Audra Coakley's plumber, who, who leads um, my AI design team, uh, formerly at Pixar, uh, Lucasfilm, et cetera, um, seemed that there were a lot of conversational commerce and, and, and AI kinds of conferences, machine learning kinds of conferences that were, function- that were focused on functionality, on technology, on business case, and on opportunity. Um, but very few are focused on the design for, you know, emotion, right? That, that piece there that is really where the rubber meets the road on for a lot of the, a lot of the work that we do, uh, for all the work that we do really. And to be able to have a day where we talk about different kinds of, uh, industries and people coming at it in different kinds of angles with that same outcome in mind, which is, you know, positively affecting the, you know, emotional state of people and what has to go into to doing that when you're working at, you know, systems of scale or you're working in animation or you're working in voice or you have or do not have access to data right now. That that was a pretty fascinating prospect. And we started asking around to different folks whether or not that might be something that they would be interested in in being a part of. And it's been remarkable, the response rate, every single speaker who did not have a scheduling conflict was like, so excited to be part of it. So we're just so excited to actually get together in February and see how this day rolls out and feel the energy that's there and make version one a wild success. That's awesome. That's I, I, I need to go to that. Actually, I'm we should we should create uh I'm gonna create at this exact moment <laughs> a <laughs> promo code. Let's create a promo code. Uh, what should it be, Mary? It should be O'Reilly, right? Yes. All right. We're creating a, a promo code um, for 25% off and just use code O'Reilly. That's awesome. What about that? All right. Okay. <laughs> now I'm going to make a note. Done. <laughs> <So I> can <laughs> make sure that I actually do that. <laughs> right. Right. You'll you'll be uh, taking those those customer service calls. It's not working. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> O-R-E-I-L-L-Y. Yes. 25% off. Okay. Humanity.ai. Well done. 
Um, Thank you. And one final question for you beyond your own awesome projects and work, what people or projects are grabbing your attention these days? (sighs) Oh, well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. That was very nice of you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, Oh my gosh, there's so much that's happening right now. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the stuff that's coming out of the, all the AI space right now, the kind of stuff that, um, you know, um, we're seeing with Siri and Cortana and and Google home. And of course, uh, Alexa, like all of these things are indicative of something pretty phenomenal. I, a fundamental shift that's happening. Um, the stuff that's coming out of Tesla is also incredible and inspiring. Um, and I also, you know, on, on the industry side, on the design industry side, I'm really fascinated by the kind of design leadership, you know, that, that um, we're seeing from different individuals like uh, John Maida or Irene Au, you know, the, the, the folks who are in the Valley speaking about design, uh, Airbnb, like the, the design-led or um, uh, uh, des- vocally designed kinds of firms that are, that are talking about the impact that that can be had when you lead with customer need or when you're, you're leading with the humanity side of the work that you're doing um, and prioritizing it as a part of the product experience itself versus as an afterthought. And so I see that, that trend, it's showing itself, of course, in, in, um, in the stock market too, when you have design-led companies or design-first um, uh, kinds of companies showing how authentic it can be in and of itself, that, that marketing isn't um, the end-all be-all, that it's authentically creating these product experiences that, that fundamentally solve human needs or improve people's lives, et cetera. So the companies that are doing that, you know, and the, the people who are sort of carrying those, those flags, I think are really inspiring. That's awesome. They're getting my attention. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a fun and fascinating time to, to be in the design space for sure. So true. True. Steph, thanks so much for joining me today. Mary, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can reach Steph on Twitter at Steph underscore Hay. If you like the show, remember to subscribe and leave a positive review through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. (laughs) 